Our Father and our God, you are love. And you have given to us the love of God in Jesus Christ. And as a result, Father, we respond in an expression of love to you. May you take these moments and take what meager love we have for the Lord Jesus Christ and expand it and multiply it exponentially as we consider the very love that Jesus has for us. In his name we pray, amen. So Don, I have a question for you. Do you love your wife? I'm gonna ask it again just to make sure, do you, do you love Eleanor? Now, just one more time, do you love your wife? It's an awkward question, isn't it? It's the kind of question you might ask or we might ask in a pastor's study or in a couple's living room. I'm sure Pastor Don has asked that question of couples on other occasions. And that's when it's appropriate in private normally, but to ask that question in the presence of Don and Oliver's 350 closest friends <laughs> is a little bit awkward. The fact that I asked it twice gives the impression that I didn't really believe him the first time. And the fact that I asked it a third time, that makes it even more awkward and uncomfortable. One of the things you can always expect from Jesus is that he will do the unexpected. Jesus is always full of surprises and not always pleasant surprises. Remember, Jesus had encountered seven disciples after his resurrection on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, called the Sea of Tiberias in our text. He had appeared to them in Jerusalem twice, and Jesus had directed them to go to Galilee and wait for him there. And they had gone to Galilee, you remember this from last week, do you not? And rather than twiddling their thumbs waiting for Jesus, they went fishing. And they had been out fishing all night, caught nothing. Jesus shows up on the shore. They were about 100 yards off. He calls out, hey, do you have any fish? They said, no. He yells and tells them to throw the net on the other side of the boat. Silly suggestion to a bunch of fishermen, but they do it and 153 fish jump into the net. And then they realize that it's Jesus. They race to the shore, Peter leading the way, jumping into the water, half swimming and half trudging his way through the shallow water, and others gathering the fish and bringing the boat. And when they get there, Jesus is preparing breakfast for them. He's got some fish on the fire already, and they bring some of what they've caught, and they have a grand time having a fish fry for breakfast. And then Jesus does the unexpected. Amid the frivolity and the fellowship and perhaps in a moment where there is a lull in the conversation, Jesus turns to Peter and said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. 
He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, you know, Lord, that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. That kind of changes the mood, doesn't it? It's awkward. A most personal, intimate question, but he asks it in front of the other disciples. But you see, Jesus has some unfinished business to do with Peter, and it's worth the awkwardness. Jesus needs to heal a wound. And in order to heal the wound, he needs to open it. Doctors and nurses are acquainted with wounds that need to be opened in order to healed, uh, be healed, and some wounds need to be opened and debrided, cleaned out of the extraneous or infectious matter. But the wound won't heal unless it's opened. Uh, both of my children, by the way, when they were younger teenagers, basically, they had a, a kind of wound that needed to be opened and cleaned out and packed with antibiotics and then left open. HIPAA prevents me from telling you exactly what that was, by the way. <laughs> but you see, the, the wound had to be healed from the inside out. So Jesus had to open a wound in order for it to be healed. And I like what John Piper says, the fastest way to the heart is through a wound. And you know what the wound is. The wound is the denial, the tripartite denial that Peter expressed the night that Jesus was arrested. The denial which took place after Peter had sworn that he would never desert Jesus. The tripartite denial which Jesus predicted would take place before the rooster crowed. The denial which culminated just at the moment Jesus was brought out of the high priest's house when Jesus looked right into Peter's eyes. The look which dissolved Peter into tears as he ran off into the darkness weeping. That wound is unmistakable to Peter in these questions because the interrogation of Jesus was also tripartite. You were with him, weren't you? I don't know the man. Do you love me? You're a Galilean. You were with Jesus. I saw you. No, I wasn't. Do you love me? Yes, I've seen you with him. Man, I don't know what you're talking about. Do you love me? Jesus needs to open the wound to heal it, because he needs to restore Peter, restore him to usefulness, restore him to ministry. He needs to restore him even to leadership. As awkward as it is, that's why it needed to be done in public. The disciples needed to witness it. They, and know how each wound may be healed, 
because who knows, maybe they would find themselves needing to have wounds healed like that. What does Peter learn from this tripartite inquiry? What principle does he derive that may bring healing to his transgression? What do all the disciples learn vicariously as they witness this interrogation? Well, they learn that the overriding principle in all aspects of the Christian life is simply, do you love Jesus? There are many virtues in living the Christian life, many noble acts, many valuable responsibilities to fulfill, many habits of the heart that demonstrate fidelity to the Savior, but they all pale in comparison to this one question, do you love me? Consider Peter's relationship with Jesus. How many laudable characteristics defined Peter's walk with the Lord? Consider, first of all, his, his longevity as a disciple. He had been a disciple for a long time from the very beginning. Matthew chapter 4, from that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. One of the first acts of Jesus' ministry was the selection of disciples. Simon was one of the very first. No one had been a Christian any longer than Simon Peter. To be a disciple meant leaving everything and, and following a rabbi in a peripatetic ministry. We followed him walking all over Galilee. And so in Mark chapter 10, we read, Peter began to say to him, see, we've left everything and followed you. Peter had spent Jesus' entire earthly ministry with his rabbi. He had been walking with Jesus longer than nearly anyone. After all that, you'd think Jesus would be able to take for granted Peter's love for him. Don and Eleanor have been married for a long time. Many of you have been married for a really, really long time. And you'd think just on that basis you could take for granted that a husband loves his wife. When I first began my ministry, I, I looked up much more to what I called at that time the seasoned saints to those who had been walking with Jesus for decades. They, there were others who were younger, who were more vocal, more enthusiastic in the churches that I attended, more energetic in their faith, but I wanted to emulate those who were in it for the long haul, who had been through the tough times, who had weathered life's storms, who had continued to be with Jesus in the midst of it all. And in this church, I'm surrounded by bunches of people who fit that description. Longevity in relationship with Jesus is an incredibly important and valuable asset. But this question, do you love me, transcends the length of time you have been a disciple. Not just a question for the new convert. Jesus says, I don't care how long you have been following me. Length of service does not exempt you from this insistent probing. This is always a relevant question. Do you love me? Then there was Peter's leadership. He was the chief apostle after all. Uh, there were disciples and then there were the apostles, the leaders of this fledgling, fledgling church movement. Matthew 10 says the names of the 12 apostles were these. First, Simon who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, and on it goes. In the Gospels, uh, 
Peter is mentioned among the apostles 156 times. Andrew's mentioned 13 times, Matthew five times, James 29 times, John 14 times, not counting allusions to him in his own gospel, Philip 19 times, Thomas 11 times, Peter 156 times. Peter was an apostle. He was one of the 12 most important members of this new band of followers, but he was also the leader of the apostles, their spokesman, their point man. How do you know if you are a leader, by the way? Well, you know if you're a leader if you look behind you. You know if you are a leader if when you look around there are people behind you. Peter always had people behind him. Peter always had people who were willing to follow him. Peter was even a leader when he was going in the wrong direction. Direction is irrelevant. You're a leader if someone follows you. You may be a good leader or a bad leader, but you're still a leader. Peter was the leader of the apostles. If Peter was not just an apostle but the chief of the apostles, you'd think he'd be the one guy Jesus wouldn't have to ask about his love for Jesus. That Jesus could take for granted the love of the greatest apostle. We are blessed in this church, by the way, to have a significant number of spiritually qualified leaders, men and women who can lead other men and women, who, who can discern the leading of the Lord, who can engage and motivate and move others toward a God-ordained goal. Your position, however, as a leader in this church or any church does not exempt you from that probing question, do you love me? Charles Spurgeon says, our names may be in the list of religious leaders, and yet they may not be written in the Lamb's book of life. So leader, Jesus asks, do you love me? Then there was Peter's experience of the glory of Jesus. Peter had experienced firsthand the glory of Christ on a number of occasions. In Luke chapter 5, on one occasion while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. He saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let your nets down for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we've toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word, I'll let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and the nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. So when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Peter and the fishermen are cleaning their nets after spending all night fishing and catching nothing. Jesus comes along and says, Let's go fishing. Peter complains but relents. He says, If you say so, okay, we'll go all the while thinking, I'll show Jesus that he really doesn't know much about fishing. After all, I'm the professional fisherman. And they go out and they catch more fish than they can handle. Peter says, depart from me, for I 
I'm a sinful man. He had encountered the glory of Christ. Luke chapter 8, one day he got into a boat with his disciples and he said to them, let's go across to the other side of the lake. So they set out and as they sailed, he fell asleep. And a windstorm came down on the lake and they were filling with water and were in danger and they went and woke him saying, Master, Master, we're perishing. And he woke and rebuked the wind and raging waves and they ceased and there was a calm. And he said to them, where's your faith? And they were afraid and they marveled, saying to one another, who then is this that he commands even the winds and the water? And they obey him. So they're crossing the Sea of Galilee. Peter had done this hundreds of times. He knew how to command a boat. The storm came up quickly. The boat was taking on water. The disciples are desperately bailing, trying to avoid sinking. And Jesus, Jesus is asleep. The disciples wake him up. He rebuked the wind and the waves. They stopped, became calm, and says, where's your faith? The disciples' response is, who is this? Who commands? Even the wind and the water, and they obey. Once again, Peter experienced the, the glory of Christ. And then the exemplar Matthew 17, after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. And his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light, and behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. When he was still speaking, when behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And a voice from the cloud said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them saying, rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. This probably happened on Mount Tabor. Jesus was transfigured before their eyes. His face was like the sun, his garments white as light. He had a conversation, believe it or not, with Moses and Elijah, two of the greatest Old Testament personalities. A bright cloud overshadowed them. The Shekinah glory surrounded them. The Father's audible voice was heard. This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. What an amazing experience. One of the great privileges of all earthly saints, only three people in the history of the church have had that specific experience with Jesus. You'd think that with all of those experiences of the glory of Christ, the issue of Peter's love for Jesus would have been settled once and for all. But you know, it's possible to be in love with the experience and not love the person. Jesus said, you've had unbelievable experiences with me, Peter, but that does not exempt you from my probing and insistent questioning. Do you love me? Some people have had extraordinary experiences with Christ, some more than others. Some people are given to having remarkable experiences with the Holy Spirit. 
palpable experiences, immediate senses of of his presence and power, transformative experiences which are life-changing, like Paul, who speaks of being taken up to the third heaven, witnessing things that are unspeakable. Jesus comes to you who have experienced such privileges and says to you, I need to know, do you love me? Do you love me? Then there is Peter's doctrinal orthodoxy. Uh, Peter was a disciple, which means he was a student. And normally, seminary is a three-year program. Uh, Peter spent three years in seminary, the best seminary that ever existed. Three years in the school of Christ. Not just a class or two. He and Jesus would eat, drink, and sleep theology. Not just any school, but the best seminary with the greatest teacher ever. He wrote the textbook. Peter even passed the midterm exam. Remember that? Matthew 16. Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi. He asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ. Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. This was in the shadows of crass paganism. Panios is what it was called. And Jesus comes and says, who do men say that I am? And the answers that are possible are John the Baptist, Elijah, Jeremiah, one of the prophets. You answered that, you get an F. Who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus says, you get an A. Jesus says, you didn't figure that out by yourself. It's not that he cheated. God, only God, could have revealed that to you, Jesus tells Peter. You must have done your homework and read the textbook, but God revealed it to you. And so Peter was in the greatest school, and he got the right answers. And I think he's underrated as a theologian in the New Testament. I really do. I want to read you a passage from Peter's first epistle. Listen to this. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. According to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ, and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, so that tested the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. 
Though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this, the salvation, the salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that, they, that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you from the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. So 12 verses, and in those verses, Peter ties together, listen, the doctrines of election, omniscience, sanctification, atonement, regeneration, resurrection, heaven and eternal life, perseverance, the preservation of the saints, the tribulation, the second coming, justification by faith alone, the scripture and Old Testament prophecy, and the Trinity in 12 verses. We think of Paul as the theologian of the church par excellence, but Peter was right behind him. Peter had his theology together, but that didn't exempt him from Jesus' insistent probing. Theology is important, Jesus says, even crucial, but even that is not the most important thing. Right theology does not exempt you from the question, do you love me? I'm the last person to diminish the importance of theology. But without love, you can take your seminary degree with you and put it up in your office in hell. Satan is a better theologian than you and I will ever be this side of heaven. James says, you believe that God is one, you do well. The demons also believe and shudder. The demons knew who Jesus was almost before anyone. So, theologian, professional or not, do you love me? And then there is zeal. Peter was zealous without peer. John 18, verse 10, Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Peter was one, the one who cut off the servant's ear when Jesus was being arrested. None of the other disciples did that kind of thing. Luke twenty two thirty three. Peter said to him, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Peter was the one who said, I'll lay down my life for you. Mark 10, 28, Peter began to say to him, see, we've left everything and followed you. Peter was among those who said, we've laid it all out there, Jesus. We've left nothing on the table. We gave it all. You'd think that for someone with such passion, such zeal, the question of his love for Jesus could be taken for granted. But even zeal and passion does not exempt anyone from Jesus' insistent probing, do you love me? 1 Corinthians 13, if I give away all I have, and if I deliver my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. None of these things exempt us from Jesus' probing question, do you love me? Not length of time or longevity in ministry, 
not leadership positions in the church, not extraordinary experiences with Christ or privileges, not theological orthodoxy, not zeal or passion, none of them do. If he asks that question of Peter, why wouldn't he ask the same question of you and me? None of us can compare with Peter's length and intensity of time as a follower of Jesus. None of us can compare with Peter's position of leadership or his experiences of the glory of Christ. We cannot compare with Peter's theological insight or with his zeal or passion. And so if he asks Peter, do you love me? He would ask us as well, do you love me? Peter's future ministry depends on his love for Jesus. Jesus doesn't simply leave Peter's answer alone. He provides an instruction or an admonition. In John 21, verse 15, they had finished breakfast. Jesus said to Simon Peter, son of John, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Peter's future ministry depends on his love for Jesus. Now, it would be nice for all of us to sit around and talk about our wonderful love for the Savior. But our love for Jesus needs to find expression. Not just in words, but in deeds. Jesus says, do you love me? Peter says, you know that I love you. Jesus says, feed my sheep. In other words, he says to, to Peter, get to work. Get to work. Jesus says, if you love me, get to work. If you don't love me, all the work in the world will be worth nothing. But if you do love me, then get to work as you are able, according to the gifts that the Spirit of God supplies at appropriate times, get to work, he says. This is the time of the year, by the way, when we talk to people about serving in the village church on committees or boards or in ministries, because if you love Jesus, he calls you to ministry. You, for Peter, he says, feed the sheep. But for all of us, not just clergy, but all of us, not just the preachers, if you love Jesus, he says, get to work. Your love needs to find expression. Do you love me? And then the text ends in verses 18 and 19. Truly I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Peter's love for Jesus and his expression of that love had a destiny. He would die for Jesus. Peter would die. He would be crucified. Tradition has it that he would be crucified upside down because Peter did not want to be too much like Jesus in his death. The key issue, though, according to the text, is that he would glorify God. That is his destiny in his love. That's where his love would take him, uh, he, that he would show what kind of death he was to glorify God, the text says. That would be his destiny. And glorifying God, by the way, is the destiny of all of us who will share in the love of Jesus. 
Even if we're not crucified, if we love Jesus, if our love finds expression, we will glorify God. And so, dear friends, the love of Jesus is the critical virtue in the Christian life. With it, everything else becomes redemptive. Without it, everything is worthless. Now, there is an interesting play on words in this episode. Jesus asks Peter, do you love me? And the word that he uses for love is agapao, which is the verb form of the word agape. Agape is peculiar to the New Testament. It speaks of the love of God, the sacrificial, self-giving kind of love. It's the strongest word for biblical Christian love in the Bible. So Jesus says, do you love me? Agapao. Peter responds, you know that I love you, but the word that Peter uses is different. The word that Peter uses is phileo. That's the word from which we get our word Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love, Philadelphia. Phileo is brotherly love. It's the love of affection. It's the love in which we experience a mutual satisfaction in relationship. It's not as strong a word as agapao. That's how the conversation begins. And Jesus asks a second time, do you love me? Again, he uses agapao, agape. Peter again says, you know that I love you. And Peter again says, phileo. I love you, Jesus, but not like that, not quite. Then Jesus asks the third time, do you love me? But this time, Jesus says, phileo, do you love me with that love that you said you have for me? I know, Peter, that you love me. You may not love me in the strongest possible way, in the most God-driven expression. It may not be agapao, it might be phileo, but that's okay. That's okay. But your love will grow, Peter. Your love will grow, brother, sister. When Jesus asks me that question, do you love me? I say, not nearly enough. Not nearly the way I should. But by the grace of God, I pray that my love for him would grow. So Jesus comes to each one of us and he says, do you love me? Do you? Do you love him? Do you love him enough? Do you love him at all? But simply, do you love Jesus? Father, you know our hearts. We say with Peter, you know all things. You know that we love you. Take our love, magnify it, multiply it, make it what it should be, and we'll give you glory as we express it in the things you call us to do. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.